Hey, Revolution family, how are we doing today? It's good to be with you. I was just calculating uh, right before the service. This is my fifth time with you um, all the way back when I was a snot-nosed college kid. Uh, so do I get a jacket or something like when they host SNL five times? I get, oh, yeah, 10. You got to do 10. Okay, I got a ways to go. But it is great to be with you. And hey, it's been awesome sort of joining virtually the last couple weeks as you guys have been into this series called After Jesus. Because after Jesus changes everything. And when Jesus comes and we have a response to him and it changes everything about us. So the Pride Fogels just killed it the last couple weeks. And I'm just here not to mess it up. Uh, But what we're going to talk about today is after Jesus, after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, he started his church. And so we're going to challenge each other this morning. I'm hopefully going to challenge you and nudge you to engage with what it means to be a follower of Jesus inside of his church today. But when I say the word church, I realize this, this word right here, there's a million different images and emotions that might come to your mind. I mean, first, obviously, like church, you might think I'm at church and we do this whole thing where we say that, you know, church is where we go. It is a location, right? I mean, uh, Bridgeway is just a two-year-old church, the church that I help lead. And we have people come to Bridgeway all the time that are new to faith and new to church. And so I hear some funny things when they think about church. They'll come up to our band and they'll be like, hey, I really like the Jesus karaoke today. It's like the only place you get like a concert, but the words are on the screen. I just need the bouncing cross or the bouncing ball on the words. That makes sense. A couple weeks ago, I had a teenager come up to me and be like, hey, I really enjoyed your speech. It was kind of like a TED talk, but way longer. And I didn't know if that was like a compliment or not, uh, but he didn't know what a sermon was or a talk, but it was a cool thing. Maybe for you, you think about church, you think about the coffee and the donuts. Maybe for you, you think about church, you think about like getting a side hug from somebody. Cause I don't know why it is in church. We're like, you know, the experts at the side hug, you know, Hey, it's good to see you over here. And it just feels very churchy to do that. But there's like some benign fun things that might come to your mind when you think of church. But for many of us, I imagine when you think about church, uh, you have warm, joyful emotions. Church is a place where your life got turned around or got turned upside down. Church is where you have this community of friends that you get to be on mission with. It's this this joyful experience. But I also imagine um, the word church can bring up some negative emotions too. And I know many of you guys are here in the room with us, but maybe you're joining us online this morning and you can't even possibly imagine walking back into a church building because there's been some hurt. Maybe it's all the way back when you were a teenager and your parents split up and the church didn't know how to handle that divorce situation and there was so much hurt. Maybe for you, you look different or come from a different part of town and you've got uh, tattoos or you've got some outward appearance thing going on that doesn't look normal and there was a church that said you didn't belong there because of the way that you looked or because of your life experience. And I just, before we go any further, I just want to say if you've got church hurt church trauma because a group of Jesus followers in a church treats you poorly. I just want to say that, man, I see you. Here at Revolution, we see you. And we are so sorry for the way that you were treated. That's not the intention of Jesus. That's never what the intention of Jesus was. But no matter what emotion comes to your mind when you see that word church, when you think about church, this is what I want to do. I want us together to bring those emotions and also look above those emotions today because we're going to look at the first church. We're going to look at the early Jesus followers, the first people that band together to be this this congregation, this movement. And I think we'll all be challenged and we'll have our heads lifted 
up to see a deeper mission this morning. So after the Gospels, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, at the end of the Gospels, Jesus is crucified. He's resurrected as we celebrate Easter. Then he hangs out for 40 days before his ascension to the right hand of God the Father. And that's about where the book of Acts begins. It's the fifth book in our New Testament. It's called the Acts of the Apostles. It's the story, the history of the very first church. And so if we're talking about after Jesus and how we're supposed to engage in this community called the church, I think we should start there. And just heads up. We're going to be like blowing through a lot of Bible today. We're going like head first. We are going there. So you guys ready to go there with me this morning to look at the early church? Let's do this together. Acts chapter one, verse three, Luke, who's writing this, he's talking to his, uh, this guy named Theophilus. And he, after a little introduction, he says this after his suffering, after Jesus suffering, he presented himself to them, his disciples and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And then he appeared to them for a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So Jesus, for 40 days, the resurrected Jesus is hanging out with his boys, hanging out with his disciples, explaining to them what it means to be a part of this kingdom, uh, this kingdom that's not just in heaven, but this kingdom that's invading earth with the presence of heaven. And so he's explaining all these powerful things to them. He's like, hey, you guys are about to take over, right? You guys are about to be my hands and feet, my church in this world. <laughs> then we're told this just two verses later. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to the nation of Israel, to Israel? And this is where Jesus, like, would just have to have a facepalm moment or like that disappointed parent moment when you're like, are you guys serious? Like after all that they had experienced with Jesus through the death and the resurrection of Jesus and him teaching about the kingdom of God, they're still hung up thinking that the whole mission of God is to get this one nation, this one group of people in power to kick Rome's behind and to be in charge again. Jesus is trying to get them to lift their heads to bigger realities, but they're still down in the weeds saying, hey, is this where I get my throne? Is this where I get my region of the new kingdom? Like, is this where I get my cut, Jesus? What is this about? And then Jesus says these words in response to this question. He says this. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now, honestly, most of the time when we've heard this passage, or if you've ever read this passage, we think it's like very inspirational. And Jesus is like giving this inspirational, motivational talk, like, no, but I'm going to give you power in the Holy Spirit, and you're going to go everywhere. Honestly, I think that Jesus is saying this is he's a little ticked off. I mean, he's like a little fed up with his disciples. Like, you guys are still talking about the kingdom being for Israel when I'm here to do something for the whole world. I imagine Jesus' tone is less inspirational, and it's a little bit more like this when he said these words. It's not for you to know the time times and dates the Father is set by his own authority. Come on. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will go everywhere. And then, after he said these kind of things, like, I, I don't picture him, like, floating up gently into the heavens, but he's kind of like, get me out of here. Beam me up. I'm sick of these people. I need to get away. I just need, need a little bit of time away from you guys. And he just goes up into heaven to, like, get a break from his disciples who are so thick skulled, right? <laughs> I imagine that's how Jesus is responding in this moment. And then we're told in the very next verse what the disciples were doing after Jesus ascended into heaven. We hear this. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. 
when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, messengers from God, or what we might call angels. And then these messengers said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Now, I imagine that Jesus' disciples, after getting chastised by him and then Jesus taking off into heaven, they're, they're like, oh, man, was this a, they're like stuck in their fields a little bit. They're like, oh, that was so amazing, but now Jesus is gone. And so they're just stopping and staring, looking up into the heavens, thinking maybe he's just going to go grab something and come right back down. Or he's, they're looking up, thinking like, okay, but it's still a hot mess expressed down here on planet Earth, Jesus. When are you going to come and set the kingdom up for real, right? They're just kind of caught in their fields thinking about that. And then Jesus, like, he gets up to heaven. And he sends down two angels, and they're like, hey, what are you guys doing? Why do you stand here looking in the sky? Why did you stop and stare? The implication here is that the church was never meant to just put your hands in your pockets, get the warm fuzzies during worship, and just stare up at Jesus. There's a job to do. There is work to be done. And Jesus sends down two messengers to say, why are you looking up into the heavens? It's time for you to get dirt under your fingernails. It's time for you to get your knees scruffed up. It's time for us to go on mission together. Church was never meant to just stop and stare. Now, 10 days later in the Jewish calendar was the festival of booths, or part of the festival of booths would be the day of Pentecost. So Jewish people from all over the world would gather to Jerusalem where the temple was, where God's presence was believed to dwell. And they were there for this big festivities, this big party, and all this special worship to remember how God had provided for them. But it was on this Pentecost, just 10 days after the ascension of Jesus, that something crazy happened. There was a strong wind that blew through the crowd where many people were gathered. And then people would look up and they saw something like tongues that were on fire in this moment, which would be so crazy to experience, right? And then people started talking. And people from all over the world that had different native tongues were all speaking the same language so everybody could understand everybody. But it caused this stir to where people were so confused by what was going on. But God's Holy Spirit had dropped on to human beings. And this is amazing because the people were confused. They were blown away by what was happening. The text actually tells us in Acts chapter 2 this, amazed and perplexed, and if you don't use the word perplexed, I think we should bring it back. It just means confused. They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, oh, they had just had too much wine. The only explanation here was that somebody spiked the punch and things were getting a little goofy here. But there's so much gravity to what happens next because Peter and the disciples are there at the festivities and they are experiencing this thing. And Peter, he recognizes this is a moment to engage, not just to stop and stare, but to step into the story of what God is doing. And so Peter stands up and he begins to give a sermon. Now, it's a powerful sermon, but I would just say that his opening line is a little suspect. I imagine if I started a sermon with this line, I'd get a weird response. But this is what Peter stands and says. Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning quite the mic drop of an opening line, right? These people are not drunk. I know we look like we drunk, but we ain't, is kind of what he's saying. He's like, it's it's nine in the morning. Like if it was seven, I could see why you'd be suspect. But no, it's nine in the morning. Nobody is drunk here. And he continues on and he shares this powerful, powerful story of Jesus. 
He shares about the death of Jesus that atoned for sin. He he shared about the resurrection of Jesus that launched God's new creation of hope into the world. He talked about the kingdom of God and how Jesus is the one who is in charge. Peter boldly engaged with the mission. He stopped the stop and stare stuff, and he got in the game. And on that day, thousands of people came to faith in Jesus. This was opening day of the church, y'all. This was the big opening, and God did an amazing thing there. But Peter stepped into the moment, and he shared the story of Jesus, and thousands of people trusted him and had their lives changed forever. My friends, I want you to understand this, and this is so true of the heartbeat of revolution from the very beginning. We'll put it this way. The church is a movement. It's not a monument. The church are the people of God, the family of God that are moving together to spread the hope and the light and the life of Jesus to our broken world. It's never supposed to be a monument, a statue, or a building, but it's people that are on the move together. This is what we see from the very beginning. It's not stop and stare, it's get in the game. Now, what's powerful here, everybody had gathered to Jerusalem for this festival. And in Jerusalem was the temple where the presence of God was believed to be dwell, to dwell. But what God did through Pentecost, through the, the release of the Holy Spirit, is he's saying, you know what now? That temple is not the place, the only place where heaven meets earth. You know where heaven meets earth? You know where the holy temple of God now is? It's in you, and it's in you, and it's in you, and it's in you. This is a movement, and God's presence has gone mobile, y'all. It's going somewhere, and you want to move with it. The temple's not the most sacred place on planet earth anymore. The presence and the power of God in people that trust him and follow him, that's where the power and the presence of God is. And what you see next is you see that Peter, James, and John, and the disciples, they just keep boldly engaging in this story of what it means to be part of God's people. And what we see are many stories that just show us this over and over and over again. Put this slide up. Oh, next slide. The church, you guys, is invited to partner with God to put the whole world back together. Do you know that God's intention for his church is for you to lock arms with him, to join the mission of God from the very beginning, to speak peace into people's chaos, to speak hope into hopelessness, to speak God's eternal marvelous light into the depths of the darkness that we experience in Logansport and beyond. It's always been about our participation, partnering with God from the very beginning. We see this God giving us a prototype in Israel all the way through to the church today. Even when Jesus taught us how to pray, you guys, all the way back in what we call the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer, he said this, I pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. My friends of Logansport, Indiana, what would it look like for us to partner with God so much till we begin to pray and we begin to see clearly, God, may your kingdom come, your rule, your reign, your will be done in Logansport as it is in heaven. What a powerful prayer. And what we see next is the early church getting in line with this motion of partnering with God. One day outside of the temple, uh, John and Peter see a blind beggar. And John is moved with compassion, and he sees this opportunity to share about the power of Jesus, and he heals this blind beggar by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he sets this guy free, this guy who had a dead-end story. He gave them a whole new story and a brand new beginning. 
And in the name of Jesus, this blind beggar was healed. But you know what? The religious leaders of the time, the Sanhedrin, were a little nervous about this because if Jesus was having these things happen and we try to take care of Jesus, and now this is still going on, we've got to stamp this out. So the Sanhedrin and the temple guards have John and Peter arrested. And you've got to remember, the Sanhedrin were the religious leaders that actually put Jesus to death. They saw the rabbi murdered by the Sanhedrin, and now they're the ones who are now in prison waiting their trial. And John and Peter have a decision to make. Are we going to fold? I mean, we, we did our best, but we're the leaders. We've got to be responsible for this whole movement. We can't, like, be killed now. Should we fold? Should we just not tell them about Jesus? What should we do? But Peter... Oh, I love Peter so much. <laughs> He's just like a, an act first, think about it later kind of person. I can fall into that category sometimes as well. Peter says, no, we got to tell them about Jesus. So he stands up in his trial before the Sanhedrin. And he says, you know what? Jesus is the Messiah. And it's from his power that this man, this blind beggar was healed. And you know, you guys want to stamp out this power? I don't think you guys can. So the Sanhedrin throws their hands up. They release John and Peter from prison. John and Peter get back to gather with the other believers And then they pray for the very first time. In Acts chapter 4, we see the very first prayer of the very first Christians. Do you guys want to hear what this first prayer sounded like? I heard somebody say long ago, how you pray is an indication if you've strayed from God. How you pray is an indication if you've strayed. This is the prayer that the believers pray together. The very first prayer as they're being persecuted and as they're partnering with God to put the world back together. They say these words. They begin with, They raise their voices together in prayer to God, and they begin with, Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In other words, he's not saying, hey, big guy, hey, man upstairs. It's not like, you know, you're you're the boss up there. No, he's saying that you are sovereign. You are powerful. You are in control. There's nothing that goes on that you don't see. There's nothing that goes on that's beyond your reach. And they're painting a huge picture of belief in who their God is. And then they quote a psalm of David to sort of explain what's happening. Then they continue on in the prayer and they say this. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And I love this next part. Now, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Oh, I love this prayer. This is so challenging to me. We see them say, hey, we know that we're being persecuted. We ask for boldness. We don't ask for protection. We ask for boldness in the middle of the storm and the forces against us. God, would you give us boldness so that we would speak boldly the name of Jesus? And then, God, would you stretch out your hand and would you perform more? Would you help and heal and bring light and hope to more and more people, Jesus? We want you to have that glory. Would you do this in our time, through our church, in our midst? What a beautiful prayer. Let me ask you a question. When you pray... What do you pray like? What do you pray for? Are you like me and sometimes we get caught praying small, self-centered prayers? God, keep us safe on this trip. God, would you keep us safe? God, would you make this easier? God, would you help me remember the answers to the test because I did not study? Like whatever that might look like, we pray small, self-centered prayers, don't we? 
I have a three-year-old, uh, Jack, and Jack uh, is just getting into the point where he has his toys and he's got an imagination. This is a picture of Jack in our back uh, area. This is him on his excavator. You can't call it anything else because he'll correct you. He knows the difference between a skid steer, a front loader. It's an excavator, okay? And he loves this thing. And so when we're praying before mealtimes, we pray with him before dinner, he's taken to starting to pray for his toys. Um, and, you know, I'm just trying to teach him to talk to God. So, yeah, we're praying for his toys all the time, and he'll correct us on it. Like, yes, God, we pray for all of Jack's construction equipment and for his tractor. And right now he's starting to get into the Lego Star Wars series, which as a Star Wars geek, that's a proud father moment. And he's asked us to pray for Darth Vader like five days in a row. And I'm just going with it at this point. You know, if he can just start lifting up to our father, you know, a good prayer about somebody else. But he's, he's praying these small self-centered prayers for his stuff. But here's the thing. We don't really graduate from that, do we? As we get older, the longer that we're in church, the longer we're around Christianity, we just sneak back and slip back in these small, self-centered prayers. Here's a thought that's challenging to me. If God answered every single prayer that you prayed in this year, in 2022, whose life would be different? If God said yes to every single prayer that you prayed, Whose life would be different? If, if you're like me, just be honest, I, I think it could be definitely myself. My life would be better. Maybe my immediate family and one to two sick people. Would that be true for you as well? These small prayers, they don't hold God's feet to the fire for him to do what he's done throughout human history. They don't see the bigness and the sovereignty of God. And they don't see God on, on movement, and on mission to bring this world back together. No, they're just small, aren't they? And again, the prayers that we pray are an indication if we've strayed. What would it be like for us to pray big, bold, audacious prayers like the first church that said, God, you are sovereign. God, would you give us boldness to speak boldly about your love, your presence, your power here today? God, would you just perform more signs and wonders? Would you do incredible things of turning lives around, redeeming stories? Would you do that in our day, in Logansport, Indiana, in our midst? Would you do that? It's a powerful prayer. Now, a few months later in the story of the early church, uh, the church starts to grow rapidly. Like thousands of people are coming to faith in Jesus, and the church decides they need to get organized. They need to be developed as an organization, which is not totally a bad thing, but it slows things down for sure, right? And they have their very first controversy. And we see this controversy in Acts chapter 15. Now, this controversy was, hey, um, who should we actually let in to the church, (laughs) Like, who's actually welcome inside of the church? Like, how clean does their life have to be? What's their background got to look like? (laughs) Because people from all over different backgrounds and different stories were all coming here to find this news about Jesus. But who gets in? How good do you have to be? How many rules do they have to keep? How much of their lifestyle do they need to clean up before they're welcome in our midst to be accepted in the church? This was the controversy, and we might... I think it sounds pretty current, but yeah, it was something, an ancient controversy. We see this in Acts chapter 15. I want to take us into just a few sections of the very first ugly church business meeting. Who's ready for the drama, right? And we see that in the very first church business meeting, there's this disagreement about who's welcome in to the family of God in the church. And what do they have to do to clean themselves up first? 
In Acts chapter 15, verse 1, we set the stage here. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, there were a group of uh, Christians, a group of believers who believed that you had to become Jewish before then you could become Christian. And and I'm being serious here and not being funny. Uh, You had to have a surgery if you were a man before you could come and be a part of our church. So you better believe that the new believers class in the early church was all women and children. Didn't get a lot of 30, 40 year old men signed up to be a Christian when you had to have a surgery first, right? And there was this like intensity to it because they believed you had to follow the whole Torah, the whole law of Moses before you could become a Christian. That was one side of the argument. Then we see Paul and Barnabas who have just seen God work in incredible ways in groups of people that were not Jewish. And then you see Peter who had this vision of Cornelius and had this meal with this Gentile person and God spoke to him and said that no, the gospel and the Holy Spirit is for him as well. They make their case that you don't have to become Jewish first. And then it was like this dramatic moment where Peter had spoken, uh, Paul and Barnabas had spoken, and everybody turns their eyes to James, James, who is the brother of Jesus. And they're all waiting to hear what James has to say. And what James says next is so profound, so powerful, so focusing that this is something that I have on my desk framed so that I see it every single day I sit at my desk at our church. James says these words. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. It's my judgment that we should not stand in the way. We should not be a hindrance. We should not be a roadblock to the people that didn't grow up like us, didn't follow the same Jewish law, who are turning to God. God's grace is purifying their hearts. And so our response, our stance should be arms wide open, say, come on in. This is going to get messy. This is not going to be nice and neat, but come on in and let's all be changed by Jesus together. I love the tense that you see here uh, for the Gentiles who are turning to God. That is a present tense. Am I the only one, like, you can see, like, your turning towards God was not all in one moment, but it was a progression where you started to surrender other areas of your life over and over to him. He was changing your life. It wasn't just in one moment, but he was changing how you dealt with your marriage, how you dealt with your kids, how you dealt with your finances, how you dealt with your career and vocation. It happens in a progression. And the early church said, hey, we're going to err on the side of grace. People come in and it's going to get messy, but our stance, our position is going to be everyone is welcome who's turning to God. You don't have to clean yourself up first. There's a phrase that we say at our church in Kokomo. We say that we want to be a faith community where you can belong before you believe. That there are no perfect people allowed, but we're all on a journey. So come take your next step with us. This is how we try to live this out. At Revolution, I love how you guys say every Sunday is a party where the family gets together, but you're expecting guests because you want people to come in, the hurting, the lost, the broken. If you're here this morning and you feel like you're hurting, you feel like you don't have direction for your life or your life's a little broken, you have found a faith community where you belong. And we're not going to stand in your way. We're going to open up the doors for you. The early church. Realize this tension about being for ourselves and being self-righteous. And they said, no, no, no. 
where God is opening up doors, we're going to swing the doors open wide for him to move. Now, there's a couple challenging implications about the early church. And I know we just like, you know, blowtorch through that. We could have done a lot more as well. But there's a couple challenging implications I want you to think about in this season of revolution and in your engagement in the mission of revolution. The first one is this. Every church drifts towards the stop and stare. You know how the disciples, they were just staring up in the heavens when Jesus ascended? You know what? Every church over a period of time, we drift into this just stop and stare, feel the warm fuzzies, make sure that our spiritual needs are being met. It's all about me and being fed, and it's all about this holy huddle that we can create because it is comfortable for us. And sometimes it looks like this. Well, you know, I put in my time serving. Now it's time for the next generation, or it's time for other people to come in and serve. Or maybe in this season of revolution where it's been six months now in your search for the next lead pastor, maybe some of us are saying, you know what, I'm just going to take my foot off the gas until we get the next lead pastor, and then I'm going to slowly see if I like him, and then I'm going to put my foot back on the gas and start serving again. My friends, don't fall into that. The mission is too important. And Jesus has his purpose for your life is to partner with him. So don't drift towards the stop and stare. Engage in the mission now because it matters so much. The next challenging implication is this, that every church drifts towards small, self-centered prayers. You know, help us make budget. Help us be safe. Help our attendance go up. Uh, God, would you keep, you know, our culture's dangerous. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy. God, would you keep us safe? Would you keep your believers safe? Is it all about that? We all drift towards this, you guys. And especially in a challenging season that you find yourself in as revolution. But I know as your leadership has been challenging, please lift your eyes to the potential and the opportunities that you have in front of you to be bold in this moment, to show up time and time again and ask God to show off in Logan Sport. God, we want to partner with you. Would you give us boldness to spread your hope, your light, and the reason that we have hope within us in the first place? Let's not drift into those self-centered, small prayers. Next is this, lastly, every church drifts towards insiders and away from outsiders. Every single church This is something we have to push against as church leaders all the time. It drifts towards those who already get it, the people that are already inside, and it drifts away our focus from those outside who are hurting, that are lost, who have been hurt by the church and Christianity. We all drift in that direction. We get comfortable with our Christian friends in our circle, and we forget that the whole picture of Christian community was a circle with an opening, always saying, come on in, come on. I know your life is a hot mess express and so is mine sometimes, but you are welcome to take a next step with us. Every church drifts away from the outsiders and more to the insiders. Let's continue revolution to throw a party, to invite people to come experience God in the here and now and not just wait until the next lead pastor arrives. But there's work to be done here and now in the culture of this place from the very beginning. And I I got to be around some at the very beginning before many of you guys were. And from the very beginning, this was a place that was concerned for those on the outside looking in. And this is what the first church was all about. Lastly, I just want to remind you of this. And we'll put it this way. We'll put this up on the screen again. You guys, the church is a movement 
not a monument. It's not a building, it's not a statue commemorating the past, but it is the presence and the power of God in you and collectively in us to put the world back together, to make Logan Sport as it is in heaven. So here's a question, are you moving with the movement? Are you moving or are you kind of like foot off the gas, coasting, showing up when it's convenient? Are you like, I am all in? Because from the very beginning, Jesus gave me the Holy Spirit and he gave us a world that desperately needs to know that there's a God who loves them and a God who's welcoming them in and a God who's gonna transform them from the inside out. I wanna move with that. I know the heart of revolution's leadership is that you wanna move with the spirit of God. You don't wanna be stuck in the past. You don't wanna just be thinking about coming to a church building church is a movement. So my friends, are you moving? (laughs) Today, you can start moving again. That's the beautiful thing about our God and His grace. You can begin moving with the movement today. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you so much for your kindness, for your patience, for your mercy. God, we thank you that this massive story of your first church, this movement after Jesus, we get to continue today. And we're here because of the boldness and the belief of those first Christians. God, may we take up that mantle. May we be that kind of church in this day and age for your glory and for the people in Logan Sport and beyond that need you because we needed you at one point and we still need you every day. So God, may we continue to partner with you, to lock arms with you, to be on mission with you, to put this broken world back together. Everybody agreed and said, Amen. Thanks, everybody.